One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories. This is the place where we turn musical memories into heartfelt conversations. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Andy Johnson, originally from rural Big Rock, Northern Illinois, the youngest of four kids. He got his degree in history from Illinois State University, graduating in 1991, but says he never actually used it for anything. And he worked as a hand drafter for a structural steel detailing firm, then came across surveying while looking for a drafting job after college in Normal, Illinois. He married in 1993 and moved to Las Cruces, New Mexico in 1996 to get his surveying degree at New Mexico State University. He then worked in Alaska with the Bureau of Land Management before moving to Florida in 1998. And he lived on and ran a survey business from Sanibel Island from 2005 until 2017 when he sold it, and now he works in Fort Myers. He's got two children who are now young adults, Riley, who is 21 and just graduated from Embry-Riddle in Daytona and is a fully licensed pilot, and Avery Maya, who is 18 and just started at UCF pursuing a degree in psychology. I've known Andy for ages. We go way back, as they say, so getting to dig into music and memory with him here is just pretty darn cool. Hey there, Andy. Hey there. How are you? Good. How are you doing? It's good, good to see you. Good to see you, too. How many djembes do you own? Uh, three. How many do you play commonly or often? Uh, I have one that I play mostly. Why do you play it mostly? It was my first djembe. You're still playing your first djembe mostly? Absolutely. Yes. Wow. Is it because it has sentimental? Is it because it has some sort of like, um, it's, you know, it's a better djembe, you know? Is there, you know, it's a better made one or something? Well... It's obviously sentimental, um, but I think it just uh, it sounds better than almost any one that I've ever played. So I feel like I got the best one for me. And how many times have you had it resurfaced, reheaded? Uh, you say reheaded? Yeah, put a new had a new skins put on it. Yes. Oh, probably. Let's see. I've owned it for about twenty years now. I have probably had it re blown the skin on it. Ten times or so. Okay. When was the last time you you know went out and played with a drum circle or something like that? Well, it's obviously with the pandemic, the the drum circle's been been a little bit on the yeah, I can imagine on the shutdown side. Um, what would it be like if everybody was just like further apart, like you know, instead of getting right up in each other's energy? That's what they're doing now. Uh, they're still trying to do it at Centennial Park on Sunday nights, but uh, so obviously the you. turnout is not. Right. Um, yeah, I was on you know medical leave as well so uh was not in, involved or had the energy for some of that but uh i haven't played out publicly for probably about a year oh okay well hopefully you get to do that soon yeah i'm looking so forward to it. so now that we've talked about drumming which we will do <laughs> more i'm sure okay we're also going to throw another curveball at you because yesterday's guest which listeners by now will have heard um forced me to or he didn't force me, but we started the show in a non-traditional way. So okay. we're going to try it again on you just to see how it goes. So this is a speed round, so you got to answer these quickly. Um, uh, what, what would you say is the most overplayed song ever? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Stairway to Heaven. Uh, do you remember what the first song you slow danced to was? Uh, something by Van Morrison. Uh, what's your favorite movie soundtrack or movie with the best songs in it? 
Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, did your kids listen to music, any music that you just couldn't stand? Uh, no, actually, I like a lot of my kids' music. Um, uh, song you've listened to the most in your lifetime? Mm, that's a good one. Um, Little Pink Houses. Little Pink Houses. Okay, now we're going to get to the normal song or to the normal show. Well, what is that? <laughs> Harps? When I was digging through the archives for some stuff, I found a sound effect called time travel, and I wanted to use it somewhere. <laughs> so that, so Good. Can we go it. back a year or so? <laughs> so that was it. Okay, so now what was the musical background of your childhood? Well, uh, I grew up, I'm, I'm the youngest of four, so my older brother, who was about six years older than me, you know, Is he uh, the one that looked just like Bill Murray? He looks just like Bill Murray. Okay. Ba- Bill Murray back in the day and Bill Murray today. <laughs> so, uh, although why he doesn't use it to get free drinks, I don't know. But uh, so as a child in the 70s, you know, I grew up listening to somewhat older music because of that, listening to what he listened to. And this was in northern Illinois? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It said rural northern Illinois. Very rural. How uh, rural? Like, were there were there other parts of Illinois that were more rural than you? Well, yes, I'm sure. Uh, my hometown of Big Rock is about a thousand people, maybe a couple hundred more than that now. Does it have a Big Rock? It does actually have a Big <laughs> Rock. Uh, it's not that big though. So, but uh, you know, it's about an hour from Chicago, but you wouldn't really know it. It's in the middle of cornfields and bean fields and. Uh, Still can't get cable on at my the farm Still where can't? I grew up. Still cannot get cable okay, at the, that's at the rural. where I grew up, and I grew up even outside of town. So, so you yeah. were in rural, rural. You're like a, you were the suburbs of rural. <laughs> yeah, rural. I have trouble <laughs> saying that word. Rural. rural. I just it always makes me think of the rural juror from uh, especially from on the radio. Yeah. Rural. <laughs> that's why you got to just really lean into it. Rural. Rural. <clears throat> Hello, growl there. Um, so, uh, uh, first band that you glommed onto? Uh, you mean you mean that I just started following? No, them? just like as a kid, the first band that was like, uh, "This is my favorite band now." Or you oh, know, probably Aerosmith. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. First music you owned? No, probably the first music I owned was probably actually probably John Mellencamp. Yeah? Yeah. Um, were your grandparents around? And if so, do you have any musical memories associated with them? Um, not really, no. Both my grand grandfathers passed away when I was little. Uh, don't have much memory of them. And and no musical uh, memories from my grandmothers, no. Uh, did you play any instruments growing up, or was that happening around you? I was a drummer. Um, I started drumming in— Like a drum kit drummer? Or? Yeah, well, in grade school, you know, grade school band, marching band— that kind of stuff. Uh, my two older sisters were both, um, and still are. Uh, my, my one sister plays saxophone, and the other one plays played or plays trumpet. And then I wanted to be in band because they were in band and wanted to play drums. So I've always been a drummer. So when you were doing like drum, you know, the marching band, were you like one of those guys with three drums in front of them or the, the side drums? Or, um, you know, which drum well, was you it? know, when you start out, you're the guy with the big bass drum, right? As long as you can keep a steady so beat. So if you're a senior and you're still playing the bass drum. Yeah, it's not, a good, it's not a good sign. So by the time I was a senior, 
you know, I was playing the the tritoms and and marching with those and and having fun. Did you, yeah, did you guys like? Were you good? I mean, did you have- I was pretty good. We had like a pep band, you know, played at basketball games. We had two sports in my high school: basketball and soccer. And so that was it. So there was no no music for soccer. I don't think they don't. Soccer in Illinois yeah, in well, the 80s. In, in the 80s, and yeah. Seems like you'd have a football team for a soccer team in that era. Well, football me. costs a lot of money. There you go. And soccer is cheap, and we have a lot of flat farms. So, right. <laughs> I mean, literally, when they wanted to build a soccer field, they just, you know, planted grass. They where just they harvested. Used, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where the soybeans were, they just, you know, marked out the, the field and planted it in grass, and we had a soccer field. Did you, and, ever, did you ever play soccer? Uh, poorly, yeah, in grade school, but not. not I just remember I played one season, and it was when it was just everybody was just cuddled, you know, huddled around the ball. Yeah, and they when on the sidelines they'd give us orange wedges. That's what I remember. My favorite memory of soccer was the orange. I wish I had gotten orange wedges. I don't remember that. You weren't in Florida. No, but uh, you know, the schools that I went to, the small town high school and grade school, we actually had really talented soccer players. So you couldn't just be sort of like. You know, whatever. Right. If you weren't good at it, you weren't you weren't getting anywhere. Do you ever try to pick up the guitar? I occasionally, I, as a as a drummer, I just don't think I'm wired for that. Um, if you could learn any instrument instantly, Matrix style, what would you choose? Ooh, it would probably be guitar. Yeah. Electric or acoustic? Uh, acoustic. All right. Time for your first song. Okay. What is it? Uh, the first song that I put down on my list is uh, John Mellencamp, mm-hmm. and it's off of his Scarecrow album called, and it's uh, Between a Laugh and a Tear. Dude, you like to talk about it, or would you like to listen to it? Um, we can talk about this one first, and then listen to it. Go for it. Well, like I said, you know, growing up in rural Illinois, rural, rural, rural. Um, there was a juror in that town. <laughs> <laughs> There was a furor. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But, uh, you know, John Mellencamp, obviously coming out of Indiana, was a huge influence. And uh, his first albums that came out, you know, that we – that made it to the scene were like American Fool, you know, Jack and Diane, that kind of stuff. And so we listened to that a lot in grade school, you know, with our – You were just like the perfect age kind of. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I graduated high school in 83, so – um, you know, you're listening to those with your, you know, your cheesy learning center library, plastic <laughs> headphones, and Some, and everybody's sitting around the record player with the big, you know, the thing plugged into God, the jack. I can and, see it, yes. Yeah. And it's just like, what is this stuff, you know? And, and that was really the first time listening to, like, music that that I even remember, you know? Yeah. Um, but a lot of those songs, uh, like on American Fool – you know, they were still like he was still that Johnny Cougar Mellencamp. You know, he had, he hadn't distanced himself and become more of a grown-up artist, I think. So when Scarecrow came out, I was in high school, I think, uh, somewhere in there. And I just always think of that album when it came out. I had a uh, high school math teacher. Um, he was a music aficionado collector. I never did – I, we always heard that his whole basement in his house was just basically albums all categorized and mathematically. He had a database just to like control where everything was. And and he brought in 
the first CD we had ever seen. Ah, it was like Star Trek. It was absolutely amazing. You know, it was the Sony, like kind of a brick-looking player, and he brought the CD in, and he passed it around like show and tell for us. And, you know, just imagine the first time you saw a CD. Yeah. You're like, what is this? You know, it just doesn't make sense that there's music on this thing. And he, you know, showed us how the player worked and let us listen to it and, and, and passed it around while it was playing. And you're watching that thing spin around like so fast. And so I always, that's always been a huge memory for me. And uh, he was just a great math teacher, tiny little guy, you know, and I was already six foot four and he was like <laughs> five foot two and everybody called him Papa Smurf and he loved it. He didn't mind at all. And uh, just good memories from that. And uh, and and by inference, the disc he played was this one. It actually was Scarecrow. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And was, why did you pick the song that you picked, though? Well, this song is um, it's a like I said, it's a little more grown up. I guess it's uh, it's about life and dealing with stuff and getting through things. So, uh, shall we listen to it? Yeah, let's listen to it. You got it. Yeah, this is uh, my reading glasses. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Uh, Between a Laugh and a Tear by John Mellencamp from his 1985 album Scarecrow. So what were you thinking about while you were listening to that? Well, I think, um, I don't know, I I feel like that song just takes me to, uh, you know, growing up and becoming a grown-up, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so it sort of bridges that whole life of, you know... As a youngster, and then and uh, I really like that. Um, I like that line where he says, "I know there's a balance. I see it when I swing past." Because I feel like we do that all the time. Um, when you were listening to it, how old was how do you? What, how old would you have been? Like, uh, well, that album probably fourteen. Probably 14. when I started listening to it and drumming along to it. You know, trying to play it. And, do you think? I mean, clearly you would have heard it differently back then. Can you kind of imagine back to how you would have heard it back then? I, yeah, I don't think I would have even understood it back then, right. like you do as an adult. You know, you listen to the pop songs, and and especially as a drummer, a lot of times lyrics just kind of, you know, I I find myself I I know all the drum fills and where the, the patterns go, but a lot of times I'm like, oh, I didn't know that lyric for that song, and I've heard it, you know, for twenty years. But um, I definitely feel like that song. Uh, speaks to me more as an adult. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, do you think maybe when you were uh, 14 listening to it that you sort of felt its grown-upness or something? Or just you already alluded to the fact that it, it represented some growing up from him. Yeah, you know I what think I mean? so. I mean. Huh. Wow. Um, speaking of math teachers, yeah, I had one in sixth grade named Mr. Northcutt. He was weird. <laughs> At the end of the year, he came in with his cello, <clears throat> put on an army jacket. In retrospect, he must have been a Vietnam vet. Right, right. And played CCR for us. Whoa. Yeah. So there's that. It must have been mind-blowing. It was. Sixth grade. I'm still talking about it. Yeah, right. And speaking of numbers, during the song, I looked down at the clock to see what time it was, and it was one, two, three, four, five, six. True Whoa. story. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay, well, let's, let's, let's move down the road. Um, okay. So you started um, down your path to where you are as a surveyor and whatnot as a hand drafter. Yeah, I was— Why? 
why hand drafting? Yeah, was I mean, that like a like art meets engineering, and you liked it that way, or you know? Yeah, you know, in in high school, you can take drafting classes. You know, in the early. 80s. I only knew that by I never took one. I just knew. Yeah, we took had. Them. A, I remember seeing there being like TV ads, like drafting, like you know, do you right. like to do you like art? The Art Institute of right, Miami. Yeah. Like, draw yeah. a, a turtle. I don't right. see those ads. Or a pirate. Yeah, I don't yeah, see yeah. Those not draw. That's on a matchbook, right? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember the draw this thing and turn in the drawing, and we'll see if you you're material for this. Yeah, I would have never made that because uh, no. Uh, because but no. this was like you know like shop class, like it was part of shop, where you'd have a machine shop, and then it was mechanical drafting, so you'd like learn how to draw what they call three view drawings, right. and you're on a drafting board with a pencil and paper. I mean. And literally, like, here's this block of wood, and it's got a hole in it. Now, how would it look if you turned it, you know, isometric? Yeah, view? yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind of stuff. Like 3D modeling on paper. Exactly. Absolutely. And so, you you know, you're looking at it in in front, side, and top view, and then you combine it into an isometric and that kind of stuff. And then right after high school, I got a job. Um, um, my mom was a nurse, and one of her patients that she was taking care of uh, owned a drafting company that did structural steel detailing, shop drawings for any kind of building, you know, going up in the Chicago area, basically. The drawings that would get sent off to, like, the foundry or whoever. Yeah, the, they would the go machine to, the, shop. to yeah. the shops where yeah. they would, you know, cut the steel and put the plates on it and the bolts and the, tell them where to weld it. And, and uh, of course, I didn't know anything about that stuff, but I could draw. Was it fun? I mean, It was actually fascinating, yeah. It was very probably pretty solitary job. Um, yeah, there were like two or three of us in this big old loft, and uh, we each had our big drafting tables, and we would sit there all day and, and uh, you know, listen to music on XRT out of Chicago and draw and have martinis in the afternoon on Friday. And Sounds pretty nice. It wasn't too bad. It's like nerd madman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you get the building plans for a building, and then you convert those into individual shop drawings. So, anyway, that's how I got into drafting. And that's how I fell into surveying. Then later on, years. Is there a straight road. line from drafting to surveying in some ways? Well, I was trying to find a job as a drafter. You still get to hang out by yourself a lot. Yeah, I, I draw <laughs> maps. Now I draw maps. So right. that's part of, you know, the map is the result from the survey. And uh, I was trying to find a job as a draftsman. And the only job that I could find was this guy who was a surveyor. And I had no idea what that was. And uh, so he worked out of a big house in Bloomington, Illinois. And... So I said, okay, great. I'll learn how to draw these maps. And and then, the, like, the next day he was like, okay, come on. we got to go out in the field. And I'm next thing I know, I'm standing in the middle of an Illinois cornfield in July, and it's like 110. And I'm like, what in the hell am I doing here, you know, trying to hold this uh, stick up in the – Yeah, you were, you were the stick holder. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> He's like, here, hold this steady, you know, and then just walked away. And I'm standing there. You can't see anything. And I hated it for about the first month or so, and then I just absolutely fell in love with surveying and went after it after that. So. And you've gotten to do it ever since. Yeah, I, I moved. You know, I was married at the time, and we moved from Illinois to New Mexico so I could get a bachelor's degree in surveying at New Mexico State in Las Cruces. And then when I got done with that, uh, you know, while I was there, I went to Alaska for a summer and worked for the Bureau of Land Management. And surveying? Then, yeah. Yeah, we were doing actually native – Native allotment surveys in Alaska. They don't need no stinking lines up there, man. We just make them. <laughs> we just got to make them. So it was easy. I mean, it wasn't easy, but uh, we didn't have to rely on anybody else because we were the original surveyors. You weren't finding somebody else's to prove it's there. You right. were creating it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a, a long process for them. In Alaska, they didn't have uh, reservations. 
if you hunted and fished and lived on land, you could claim it. Right. And so the Native Alaskans, through the Allotment Act, would claim property. Like, and so you, know, you were coming out there to draw that line for them. And so these things have been in the courts. So they were since, asking you to draw the yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ah, okay. This and was the so, good guys drawing lines. So, yeah, absolutely. So we were defining their family heritage property for them legally so they could get title to it. That's pretty cool. And so we were, you know, living in tents and cutting trees down and fending off bears and all kinds of fun We don't stuff. need to stick on this too much longer, but I want you to just <laughs> reflect on, because I find it fascinating. I could see, like, in another life I could have been a surveyor. Oh, absolutely. You are <clears throat> absolutely surveyor material. <laughs> um, the, the technology, like, you not, you're not out there. They're out there with, like, robots now practically, right? Yeah. You know, um, in 2017, I sold my business on Sanibel, so, but I was working basically by myself. Uh, the instruments now are basically well. They're not robots in the sense that they just do whatever. But you don't need two people. No, they I are mean, remote it might be controlled. Better to have two I think people, remote control is. I mean, everybody says robot, robot, but remote control is probably the better term because you run it from the rod. Now the robot will be when you don't need even you out right. there. Yeah, right. and then that'll be long gone by then. So, <laughs> so but, uh, you know, you you control the instrument. It turns and follows you. It has a tracking system. So when I walk around, it follows my prism wherever I go. We live in the future. Yeah. Um, uh, and don't even get started on GPS because that's a whole other <laughs> <laughs> They're getting ready to put up another satellite, right? Or there's some new no system coming in. It's going to uh, make it better. I heard. There, I you know, the well, the government always has had their better frequency, their, L, their L1, L2. Right. So they give us the degraded signal and they have the better one. So it gets closer and closer all the time. Understood. Okay. Um, Nerd out. Sorry. Nerd out. <laughs> I didn't know so, that. So, so well, you. now I figured this would be interesting to at least a couple people at out there. <laughs> Crickets chirping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're still with us, we're talking with... Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> um, so why Southwest Florida? Why Sanibel? Like, give us the arc there. Well, uh, you know, when I, I graduated, uh, I went back to school, obviously, as, as a more of an adult, ma- young married guy. And... My wife was pregnant with our first son, and her family had recently retired and moved to Fort Myers Beach. Uh, everyone follows family here. And so, I mean, they used yeah, to. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, we already knew what life in Illinois was like, so right. we decided, hey, let's try Florida and see if we like it, and if we don't, we don't. And there we are, and 20 years later. When uh-huh. I met you, you weren't on Sanibel yet, right? You used to live out there almost to Sanibel to yeah, the right on, there. I, I, we had a little place well, just before Fort Myers Beach. Okay, yep. yeah, I remember. And that. then we that was in we moved there in the late nineties. Did uh, what was it like being on Sanibel all those years? It seems like a pretty idyllic place. It, it was. Uh, it was actually fantastic. Um, lived there, had my business there. Hardly ever left the island if, unless I needed to. Were you, did, were you like a monopoly surveyor on Sanibel? Uh, I mean, it seems like there's I mean, probably a lot of work. I would but. have tried to be, but you know, I, I couldn't stop people at the bridge, but. Uh, Sanibel is a lot like living in small town Illinois. You know, people uh, don't – that's one thing people are always surprised by is it's a very tight-knit community. And if they know you're there and you live there and you're trying to make a living there, the people look out for you. So uh, not that I, you know, was a monopoly, of course, but, uh, you know, people know you. Know you. That's who they want to deal with. Growing up, we'd drive out there when we were like high school students and 40 percent of the time we'd get pulled over. Right <laughs> for for nothing because they because they knew because we were. were well we were in, we were just we were teenagers driving on Santa yeah. Bell at night you oh know, yeah that, that was that was I'm sure you are not up to the, up to anything dangerous nothing too dangerous <laughs> um uh, uh strangest surveyor story before we move on 
like like funny moment you wound up in, scary moment you wound up in. Surely you wound up in something. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, probably the weirdest one was well, actually when I was in Alaska, we were cutting through this forest, and uh, we stopped, and it was just me and one other guy, crew chief with the government, and uh, we were cutting, you know, chainsawing for ten hours a day or whatever, and we stopped one at one point, and I was like. Oh, smells here. Something's something's died around here. And he looks down. And he goes, "You're standing in the remains of a of a black bear, <laughs> just yeah. like the fur and nothing else." And 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 I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, this is Alaska, I guess." Did you smell like dead black bear for the rest? of I'm the sure day? I already did. Honestly, we <laughs> you were you living in a get, tent for three you didn't weeks. Get down and roll really around in it though. Or anything. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay, uh, it's time for your second song. But last question: Do you listen to music while you're out there by yourself surveying? Yes. Or do you listen to NPR sometimes or podcasts maybe I, these I, days? I listen to – I actually listen to a lot of uh, GCU uh, on the radio in the truck and I'll, I listen to music all the time. Now, how do you listen to it? Right now I'm on uh, like Amazon server oh, okay. uh, service okay. so that I can just uh, listen to whatever – you know, I think of. When was the last time you bought a CD or something that had physical form? Oh, gosh. I was trying to – I was talking about this with my daughter, and because she doesn't even the kids these days, you know the kids, the kids these, these days, days you just did it, you did it on accident. <laughs> <laughs> you know they don't know what uh, CDs are even. You know they have no idea. But I, I honestly I don't know. Been a long time then. Probably just you know obviously someone that I know as a musician. Exactly being at a show you know, or something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Something like that. Uh, all right. Song t- song two. Okay. Song number two. Um, and I swear this was on my list before. I news, trust you. I trust your of, integrity. Of Eddie Van Halen's passing. Uh, Van Halen running with the devil from their, you know, first album just titled Van Halen. Um, that you know, growing up in that area era, everybody wanted to be those guys. Of course, um, as a drummer, you know, wanted to drum like Alex. And uh, one of the first memories of of trying to play along with something like this, you know, I had bought scraped together enough money to buy this really terrible drum set from a fellow bandmate and uh and had it set up in my in the old farmhouse upstairs and just I I just always remember sitting there you know trying to keep up trying to keep up <laughs> trying to figure out some way to play something that would even marginally yeah. <laughs> fit the bill of what he was doing on his obviously you know ridiculous drum kit and skills uh, and I always think of my dad, you know, or my mom and dad in that house in an old putting farmhouse. Putting up with you? Yeah, putting up with me because I was awful. It must have just resonated the oh, whole there house. Oh, no, there was no getting away from that. You know, there was in these old farmhouses, no insulation, no nothing. Up in the upstairs, just, you know. Did they ever give you grief? Uh, not really. I, have, I give them a lot of credit. You know, when I wanted to start drumming, they made me play on a on a coffee can for – like three months to prove that I really was going to stick with it because my two sisters, I mean, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but they had changed, <laughs> in, they had changed instruments here and there. And so, I see. you know, you put out money for a flute and then they go, Oh, I want to play clarinet or I want to play this. I don't, you know? And so they were like, if you're going to play drums, yeah, you, you got to prove it. And so I had to play on a coffee can for, you know, three did months while everybody you, did else. Did that help you get a leg up? Do you think? I think so. And I think it sort of, solidified that, you know, hey, I really do like this, you know. Maybe I would have been like, eh, whatever. You know, you, as a kid, you get bored easily. So yeah. So I just always think of this. And Running With The Devil, um, it's not even so much the lyrics for me. Like I said, as a drummer, a lot of times the lyrics just 
or or in one ear and out the other for me. But this song was one that I probably one of the first ones that I felt like I could almost master from him. It's not too complicated on the drum set. You can play along with it. It's not ridiculous. It's not like trying to play Hot for Teacher or something. And, uh, you know, so it's always a good memory for me. Like, I nailed that one. So uh, this radio or podcasty or whatever it is, uh, paint a picture of the what it looked like in the the attic or the upstairs. <laughs> just, just paint a little radio picture of you, you know. You, yeah, was there a Stairmaster like off the corner or something <laughs> like that, you know? No, no, no Stairmaster. You know, we're talking a uh, 100-year-old farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere, you know, surrounded by cornfields and beans. Superman. Yeah, it's just, you know, upstairs, no... No air conditioning, no, just hot summer afternoon, nothing else to do, you know, no school. No neighbors to bother. No neighbors to bother. Nobody cared. You know, nobody nobody that far away, you know, they couldn't hear you. At, at least they never came over and knocked on the door. Okay, well, let's listen to it. Uh, Running with the Devil by Van Halen off their 1978 self-titled album. What kind of radio or stereo would that have been coming out of? Oh my gosh! Probably something really old. My dad was so not uh, like some big high fidelity blah blah. System. No, yeah. uh, my dad was you know back in the real real days. He was kind of a radio. I think at one point he wanted to be a radio uh, <laughs> fix radios, and and so he was into like the uh, tubes and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. The tubes, the tubes. These kids these days, these kids and their <laughs> tubes. You know, but uh, you know, uh, so it was probably some record player that okay. was kicking around the house that we Would had. You've been into. Uh, would he have been into Van Halen as well? Like, what did he think about it? No, he was more of a Chet Atkins kind of a guy. Okay. <laughs> so did you mostly have to listen to this kind of on your own? Yeah, pretty much. Although, you know, we were given uh, – maybe it's being youngest of four. I was going to say, you had older brothers like, and sisters whatever. breaking yeah. the molds oh, for you. Oh, yeah. So I, I definitely benefited from that, that uh, the, the you know, was sort of like, oh, are you home? You know, okay. <laughs> and, no, go ahead. Well, just that, you know, we my parents were – I, I always say they were kind of hippie wannabes. They were a little bit too old. Uh-huh. They had been uh, – uh, uh, like my oldest brother was born in 63, but they had been married for maybe 10 years before that. And then and then it was like a baby every 18 months. Yeah, you know? they were raising kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Say hi to Tara Calligan. Hey, Tara. Thank hi. you. Tara Calligan in the studio. Cold is perfect. Thank oh, look you. at us. We offer warm room temperature and cold water. It's, it's awesome. Um, you said you were able to get to your songs pretty quickly, or were you able – like picking your three songs? Um, and I'm, it, I'm, it, it was difficult. I mean – Was Van Halen obvious? Van Halen was probably the first uh, one – and I was trying to – I was, you know, reminiscing then, going back and looking through. And uh, it was – it was um, obviously, it was – for me, it was going to be one off of that, that first album. Um, and so what did you feel when you heard the news that he had passed away? Well, I knew that he had been sick and, uh, and had So you were cancer. still paying enough attention that you knew that. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Um, so I was kind of surprised, you know – it's one of those things uh, you think people are going to live forever. We're learning increasingly more and more that that's yeah. clearly not the case. Right. Absolutely. At least it feels like it. That's probably just one of the products of social media and connectedness. I think so because, you know, back in the day you would have never. Yeah, I mean, you might have heard it, but yeah. now we all hear it at the same time or, or within a few you hours. Know, if you didn't happen to watch that newscast that night and you yeah. weren't really paying attention to it, now it's like, you know, I was on the way over. I have – uh, serious radio in my truck, if I can say that. Um, and they were saying they have a whole channel now just for Eddie Van Halen, you know. Huh. 
and they did that like you know instantly basically so. yeah well i mean we live in a world where i jokingly say this all the time but it's true it's like somebody tells you oh did you hear and you're like oh that's so 20 minutes ago you know? <laughs> right <laughs> because by yeah. then two other things had happened that were you know right and you know the the twitter feed just is blast are you right on twitter it. i i dabble into twitter but uh it just goes so fast like you said if you're not you're fairly uh active on facebook i am I am. Especially during these political seasons. Uh, yeah, I am a, I've always been a political junkie. Uh, when I remember as a kid begging my mom to stay up and watch the election returns when Jimmy Carter was elected. And so I was seven years old. So, uh, Political junkie. You know Ken Rudin? NPR's uh, political junkie? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing tech support for him right now with an uh, a, a MP3 oh, file. It's a true story. Nice. MP3. <laughs> Trying to get him on the show. He uh, he's the, he had a show on. We used, we used to air it at 6 o'clock on Sundays. He used to be on All Things Considered a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and he was NPR's Pim and uh, what's his name? Ron Elving. Were, yep. They did the Political Junkie political segment junkies, on yeah. Talk of the Nation with Neil Conan. Yeah. Um, his show just went off terrestrial radio. It's just a podcast now, but I've been in touch trying to get him on this show. So oh, good. Just, if you're listening, Ken, to see what we do, this is it. Hi, Come in. You would be a great guest. <laughs> Um, so, uh, had you been in any bands prior to Rhythm Culture? Uh, n- not, a f- no, not really. No? I mean, I've I played, you know, in high school, you would, like, jam with friends and right. get together. Nothing with a name that would play venues. No, no. Um, how long between getting your first djembe and being in Rhythm Culture? Well, uh, my, my first djembe was, was a gift from my wife when we moved here to Florida graduation gift Christmas kind of a thing um, and I didn't know anybody here obviously and didn't know and really didn't even know how to play djembe it was uh, my friend Michael Taylor in Chicago got me interested in him and uh, so I asked him I said well do you know anybody in Fort Myers area that's into wants to get together and play drums and he turned me on to Bruce Gozy and Shorty Palmer uh-huh. who then became you know uh, Bruce uh, was in the band with me, and uh-huh. uh, and Shorty now makes a living uh, repairing and building djembe's in in Tennessee. Cool. So um, it was fairly quick, but then you know, then my son was born. So I I met those two through the internet. We got together at like the park in Cape Coral and. The internet was that like AOL? Yeah, pretty. It was some weird, you know. <laughs> we were on board. Prodigy together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was two thousand. It was later than that. It was like ninety nine. So that and was Prodigy era. It was. It was pretty it was old still school. Around then, yeah. Then. And so we got together and played in the park a few times, and then Riley was born, and of course, you know, I'm not out going out drumming with a newborn baby. So then there was like a year and a half. And in that year and a half, sort of the – that's when the Fort Myers Drum Circle sort of incubated uh, and started carrying all that stuff. And so then when I – I have pictures of like Riley when he was maybe 18 months being at the drum circle. And then the band started soon sort of after that. Off of that. Yeah. Huh. You know, sitting in it at, at Liquid uh-huh. and playing with uh, – You guys kind of coalesced. Aib. Played Aib. with Aib Ding when he was doing his shows. Yeah. He sort of – Snagged a couple of us, Nate and and whatnot, and and put together us to sort of be his opening act. Right. Yeah. And that's how rhythm culture started. You know who was in that chair? You know, I don't know, three four weeks ago. Who's uh, moving to Chicago now? Who? Hap. 
Oh, oh, that's right. Former Rhythm Culture member. That's or he right. maybe was only one pawn. He probably came along during the pawn right. era. And, and uh, oh, the, I knew he was moved to Chicago, <clears throat> but I, I wasn't sure of the details. So. Yeah, no, he, uh, he just, he's going to be the chief engineer for a radio, a commercial radio network that has like eight stations in, from Chicago all the way down into southern Illinois. Oh, fantastic. And his wife gets to keep her job from here because she was doing it virtually anyway. So they just get to move up there. And, wow. And both, their, both her kids just graduated, and so they're on their own. I hope, have, I, I hope the they have rays. warm clothes. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, he's from, he's from there. He grew up That's there. That's true, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so speaking of, you know, have, drumming around a newborn, remember you guys used to practice in our house. And Absolutely. And Gwen would be literally in her little walk-around yep. thing in the middle of practice. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> uh, true story. So we talked about in Half's episode about how you guys – made the theme song for our daily talk show, Gulf yeah. Coast Live. Absolutely. It's called Gulf Coast Life these days. Mm-hmm. And so WGCU Terrestrial listeners will have heard this song, and you're drumming in it. I am I'm playing Thousands the big bass drum on this one. I was going to ask what you were playing on it. So here, I'm going to play just a little bit of it, but then I've got some other gems for it. So this is the main theme with Carrie starting it off with, yeah. the, with the triangle. Yeah. Ding. This is this is where I, the person would say something, and then they'd say, you're, "Yeah, you're hit." You, I can I can hear. Look at him. That's perfect. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Okay, so <laughs> Wait, who's on the shaker? Uh, I don't know. There were so many people in that band, I can't keep them straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of people in that band. Probably Samantha. <laughs> uh, and then so, but you also, I don't even know if you remember this, and we haven't played it on WGC in the longest time, but we had you guys do a sad version of it, too. Oh, yeah. Because we thought there would be right, sometimes... Right, bumpers that, and stuff, right? Well, the yeah. bumpers we'll get to, but the sad <laughs> billboard was if the topic was serious. And we oh. did use it some in the early days, but most people will probably not have heard this. Kind of a breakdown. <laughs> okay, so that's the sad billboard. Yeah. That one, uh, since we since we didn't get to play all of it, that one ends with like a like an um, atonal like. A <laughs> 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 uh, um, I'm still letting it play. We'll bring it back. Oh no, I'm, that's okay. Um, but <laughs> let it ride. Let it ride. Let it ride. Well, I mean, we're almost to the end of it now, so. <laughs> Okay, we'll bring it back in. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, this is what happens when I run the board. That's right. I just like that you're still into it. Like you're still playing it. Like you can remember. Oh yeah, absolutely. So just maybe describe the scene then, because you were here in the studio. It was right in there. Yeah, we were right? all in the studio together. Well, I, we're going to describe the scene here in a second. Perfect. Okay, and so then wow. this one here, I'm going to put us Very classy. in one for this. Okay, so and then so then this one, um, this is this is, this is this is called a file that we're we're pack rats around here. So uh-huh. this is a file from the old days folder called GCL theme shot one more in the now raw. <laughs> so this would have been like when you guys were like so pretentious working your way up. No, I think I named it that or half named it that. But uh, sounds like a name convention. So this is the first time, this is a rough recording of the first time that we, you guys played something, and I did the opener like I was Ryan Warner. Oh, right, so, right. But listen, yeah. listen closely. <laughs> this is hilarious. Impersonating Ryan Warner. WGCU, WMKO, I'm Ryan Warner, and this is Gold Coast Live. <laughs> 
I can tell. I can tell in that one. I'm on the djembe because Nate's playing the didgeridoo, and uh, and I I know for a fact I'm playing djembe on that right there. Oh, that's classic, classic. <laughs> Those were good times. It was. Uh, okay. Best concert ever. Oh. Best concert ever was okay. Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, in the early '90s. Mm. In Chicago at the Vic Theater downtown, mm. and uh, uh, and I, they were one of the many bands that I or songs that I was considering that was on the pick. list. Oh yeah, for sure. I I remember uh, you know seeing Red Hot Chili Peppers at my friend's house who had MTV, and that was like the thing you know back in the day. And I was like, who in the hell are these guys? They were just that was like. Freaky styly and all that stuff back back then, and just instantly loved everything that they were doing. And then I was in college at Illinois State, and they were doing a show downtown. And I remember, I'm like, I've got to go to this show, and so I went. I forget the band that opened for them, and it was like a huge crowd, big mosh pit, you know, and. Everybody was kind of normal when the open, opening band was there. And then as soon as the Chili Peppers walked out, the place just exploded. And I remember this. I'm pretty tall. and Yes, you are. There was a, a, You make me feel short. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember a person being thrown by his own friends over my head wow. into the crowd like a bowling ball. And then popping up and just jumping into the mosh pit and going on his merry way. And everybody was just, you know, (laughs) and it was such a raw night. You know, usually when you go to a concert, you go to a big venue, you're miles away. Even if you're up close, you're kind of distant. I mean, when you see somebody at at almost like a bar, you're so much more in it. And uh, to see a band like that, that, I mean, they were marginally, at that point, they were pretty successful. Uh, And I've seen them probably four times. Is that who you've seen the most? Um, no. I've probably seen, well, Jimmy Buffett a lot. Because <laughs> he's coming up on the show more and more lately. Somebody's going to pick one of his songs here soon. I feel well, it coming. you know, when you live in Illinois and you and you have your, those long gray winters, as soon as it starts getting warm, you're, you're ready for some, something fun. And so it's a big thing up there. Now, of course, as soon as we move to Florida, we're just sort of you can have it every day, so it's not a not a big deal. Uh, seen a lot of Jimmy Buffett, a lot of Melissa Etheridge, a lot of U2. Mm. I was going to ask if you ever saw any shows at Wrigley Field, but since they didn't have lights or don't have lights, they probably didn't do much in the way of concerts. They, d- they did not do any concerts when I lived there, but I do have a Wrigley Field tattoo on my arm. Ah. <laughs> I remember when the, they won the World Series, I was like sort of online with you at that time. Yeah. I remember, I remember your joy. Yes, I was ecstatic. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know... Dying Cub fan last request popped across my list for a minute, but I didn't want to. <laughs> it it faded, but uh, that was on on the list for a hot minute. Um, what's farthest you ever traveled to see a show? Hmm. Uh, I went to from here. I went to South Carolina. I was married at the time, and my wife and I went to go see 
Leonard Skinnerd, and Big and Rich in South Carolina. I used to work for Big and Rich. Did you really? I did. And well, I, I the short I, version of that story, Tara Yes, uh, I worked no for them. I helped with a country music festival, and I was in Tennessee for quite some time. And I did a lot of talent for them and a lot of digital and oh, photography wow. and different things. They have, um, uh, well, John Rich, anyway, has a line called... Uh, Redneck Riviera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I helped out with that a bit when it was launching as well. So wow. fun. Small world, right? And I got to, you know, we we went up and uh, we had done the meet and greet package or whatever. They're and, so uh, fun, though. They are fun. Yeah. And, but Big wasn't all that big. I was kind of, I was, I was expecting him to be much taller than me. But he's, he's one of the sweetest he's a super people nice I've guy. ever met in my, and his whole thing spread love, all about yeah. love. And I like that. Yeah. It's good, good vibes from him. Well, I like that. He, he was. Does, is, was his name supposed to be ironic? No, he's he's he big is Kenny. he is pretty big. He's, he's big pretty Kenny. big. He's awesome. If you were a championship wrestler, what song would you come in on? Ooh, save a horse, right? I can no, just get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's. A... I saw Andy sit up. Like, was, oh, I was like, yeah. oh, God, he's leaning yeah. in. I don't know. Uh... It'd have, have to pick be a some- Buffett song. <laughs> no, it'd have to be something by Red Hot Chili Peppers, I think. <laughs> something crazy. Anyone in particular? You've seen yeah. him four I'm times. like Blood gotta- Sugar Sex Magic. I love that song. Yeah, that's the one that actually came to mind. Ooh. Okay. That's, that's it. If you were a cocktail, what would you be? Ooh. I'd just be straight whiskey. What would be the shape of the glass? We need something to identify it. We're this creating. Is, we're compiling. Is, this is the Andy. I'm gonna. We need to make the Andy. The I'm, gonna Andy? This, I'm gonna call this the the hand drafter. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's whiskey. It would be a whiskey with uh, chopped ice in a tall glass. Right on. Like okay. a Collins glass. Like a skin. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, TV theme song is committed to memory that you'll sing with us. Sing? Yeah, we'll all sing together. We'll put oh. it on YouTube. We'll do Wait, this I thing. Do not know we did Gilligan's Island yesterday. <laughs> we, we nailed it. We nailed Gilligan's Island yesterday, Tara Callaghan. She wasn't here. I wasn't there. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. You don't uh, are know. there any that you do remember all the words to? Theme songs. Yeah, TV show. TV He's not going to admit it. No, no, no. no. I'm going to – I have a way to give him – I have a way to get get him off the hook, I think. What's that? Well, I was going to say <clears throat> I want to return back to MTV. You would would have been the perfect age to be able to remember when it showed up, right? Like oh, You yeah. would have been like, what, 16 or something Even when MTV younger, was yeah. born? Yeah, younger. What are your early memories of this new thing? Because I was – I'm younger than you, so I was a little too young. I mean, I remember it being there. But, yeah. But you were more of a – you were an older kid. I, I have a vivid memory of going to my grandma Johnson's house in Aurora. Uh, she had cable and had MTV, ironically. <laughs> and, of course, we had no, you know, back, it, it, you could watch videos for like half an hour a day on the UHF channel out of Chicago. Yep. So we would all zoom home on the bus and run in and watch, you know, Duran Duran and Dirk Commissar or something like that. They'd play the same three videos every day, basically. But I can remember going to my grandma Johnson's house and cranking up, and she was like, "What are you doing?" You know, we—I forget. Maybe it was the maybe it was the Michael Jackson video. I'm not sure, but it was some big event, and we 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 grandma, we gotta I mean, watch thriller, this. Thriller know? was a big deal. Yeah, it was probably Thriller, and I can remember we gotta watch this. You know, and 
and that dun, 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 you know the guitar riff and the and the little spaceman and we well, that's like, what we're about to listen to yeah yeah that's why that's why i've been teeing up here t minus 27 seconds yeah. we have gone for redundant set sequencer start t minus 20 seconds and counting this was the original intro yeah t minus it's 15, looking at the space shuttle 14 mm-hmm. 13 T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, would have been 81. 6, 5, 4. We've gone for main yep. engine start. We have main engine start. And now it's Apollo something launching off. Right. Landing on the moon. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you ever, did you ever get to watch video kill the radio star on mtv oh sure yeah yeah yeah. that was the first video that was the first music video to air on television yeah so i was in like seventh grade or something on that i would have been in seventh grade so uh those were kids that's back when they played music videos on the music video channel back in my day (laughs) (laughs) wasn't all just behind the music documentary right right i remember when we got or the money all about the money you know whatever that i remember when we got cable we lived on on bradford street in fort myers and um i came home from school after you know school clearly (laughs) as you would (laughs) as one does and uh and i walked in and my mom was home um and she was watching i love lucy and i knew that you didn't get to watch I Love Lucy on the four channels that we had. Like, not that time. You know, that was like... Right. And I walked past her, and then I walked back, and I walked, and I walked, and I said, did we get cable? And she said, yes. And it was <laughs> joyous, because I was the only kid in my friend group that didn't have cable oh, at that right. point. Yeah. It was a big deal. That is. <sighs> and I, I liked MTV, but I wasn't all that much into it. Um, okay, so you didn't have to sing. You got off. Um, Broadway musicals, going to see shows, you know, singing and dancing on the stage, Hamilton, that, that thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, love musicals. Um, probably Fiddler on the Roof is one of my favorites. Um, we did uh, in high school, you know, we did musicals, and I was always in the orchestra for that. And uh, we did Grease one year, cool. so I got to play the drum set in the orchestra for Grease, and I remember that was that was a lot of fun. So. I know all those songs still. And most good memories. most memorable uh, rhythm culture or pond show. You guys used to pl- play a lot of different places. Yeah, we played a lot on Fort Myers Beach. Um, probably one of the, it, you know, very early on, we got asked to play at the Act for Arts event. Arts for Act or Arts for Act. I'm sorry, it's been a while. And uh, I think maybe was it Lily Tallman? I don't know, but I remember. I think it was. It was, right. it was quite a while ago, and I remember we didn't even know what the heck we were doing. And and here we are on this stage with all these – everybody dressed up and fancy, and we're like, oh, they don't know what they're <laughs> asking us to do. But I mean – so what you did fun. was so different that they had nothing to compare it to. Right. So yeah. you guys could basically do whatever you wanted. Yeah, and we did a couple corporate gigs, you know, because that was when uh, – uh, what's that TV show that was with the – competition shoot yeah you're asking the wrong person american idol no no the one on the island where you vote the people off oh, the survivor. lost survivor. survivor the very first <laughs> reality lost. show i i haven't watched it in forever apparently it's still on i'm i'm amazed yeah, but it's still so survivor was big then and you know we got it i think we did like a mead paper company corporate gig where they were 
recreating like some kind of lost, you know, Dunder, or a survivor. Kind of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, song three. Okay, well, song three. <laughs> what, a, what a segue. That's enough of that. That's enough of that. Uh, I tell you what, on song three, let's play the song first, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, this is... Uh, Do you want me to... No, uh, well, yeah, would you like to? You could do the intro. Okay, uh, song three is by Beck. It's called Heart as a Drum off of his Morning Phase album. I always knew Beck as, you know, just sort of like a, every once in a while you'd hear a song of his on the this radio. This is 2014, by yeah. the way, when it came out. And, you know, his songs that made it on the radio were always just kind of kind of silly and, and whatnot and creative, but didn't seem very deep. Um, and then I saw that he won that one album of the year or rock album of the year. It was something interesting. And I went the next day and bought it. Uh, online. I was going to say, you didn't go somewhere and buy I it? I did not go. I went to Amazon, and I, but I actually, it, w- it was before I had the streaming service, so I actually paid the money to, to right. own it. Um, and it's just, I, I find the album, it's it's like a throwback to concept albums to me. It's like, the, you, listen, you can listen literally, and you should listen to that from beginning to end, and with really good headphones on, because it makes a huge difference. Um, uh, it's just – I think he plays almost every instrument in it and wrote, obviously, all the songs and produced it. And he's super talented. But uh, the album is just hypnotic to me and, and that song. Um, the story that it brings me to is going through cancer last year. Uh, you know, about almost exactly a year ago, I went in for a checkup and wasn't feeling very good and did some lab work. And they said, oh, you, you know – you're 51 or 50 at the time. You should go in, get your colonoscopy, and let's get your or get your blood work done and get that checked out and and uh, schedule your colonoscopy. You know, because you're 50 now, and everybody's like, all right. And uh, scheduled it for you know December, whenever it was available. And then I got my blood work done, and the doctor called me up. He goes, oh, uh, I know, I'm all proud of myself that I had actually scheduled it. You know. And he said, uh, yeah, that's not going to work. We need to get this done right now. So uh, went in and uh, on Halloween. And uh, – uh, sorry. I need a minute. Take your time. So on Halloween, uh, I had that done, and uh, it was pretty obvious, I guess, that it was colon cancer. So they were uh, great doctors. They got me right in, scheduled, did surgery, started chemo on Christmas Eve. And this was one of the, this album was one that I used to listen to because uh, I would have to go in for chemo every two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I'd go in for a couple hours and have to sit in a chair, and you know I had a, a port here in my chest, and they would pump the chemicals in, and then I'd have to take it home for two days. So, you know, you'd be sort of zonked out in this uh, chemo fog, they call it, you know. Uh, I remember the when I first started getting it, I was like, oh, this isn't too bad, you know. I feel pretty good, and I was going to get up and go to work. And I and I got up, and uh, and I had gone in and had the pump taken off because you just had to run in, and they unhooked it. And then I got up, and I was going to go to work because I thought, I can do this. This isn't bad. I got up and I got dressed and I thought, I'm just going to sit here for a minute and just 
chill. And like I sat there for three hours, you know, just stared at the wall. And it wasn't like I was thinking of anything. Were you conscious of, were you like, was there a little voice inside of you going, you should not be standing, you should not be sitting here this I, long? I, no. Huh. It was just like, I mean, I remember just sitting there just sort of like, and then all of a sudden I looked down and it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, I've been literally sitting here without a thought in my brain, wow. without moving. It's like you reached bliss. Yeah. In a really <laughs> weird way. Right. And so I realized pretty quick that I couldn't, you know, function too much when that was going on. You know, some people say, oh, as soon as you're done with your – I still golfed and I still did this. And, uh, you know, and I was I, I was very lucky. I would sit there at – you know, and I'm – you know me. I'm kind of chatty. And I would sit there and, <laughs> <laughs> and I would – you know, you're sitting in these, like, nice reclining chairs with these – everybody's sure. sitting there. And this was pre, you know, pandemic. So – right. Initially, it was you were sitting literally like, like right, right, up, right yeah. here. There's a guy next to you and there's a lady next to you and everybody. And, you know, you're all on a different regimen, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the first couple of times I'd start, you don't know if people want to talk or not. So you just kind of wait. And You know, the first couple of people I met, they're, oh, he's in there for eight hours a day or six hours a day and been doing it for years and years and years. And I was looking at, you know, six months every two weeks. Just as a preventative, you know, when they did the surgery, they take out lymph nodes, everything around it, and then they test all that. And like one lymph node out of 20 had cancer in it. So they said, well, you're young and healthy. And I said, well, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so that's what – so this album, you know, was something that I used to listen to. And then uh, the pandemic hit, so then they changed all their protocols. And you couldn't really sit and talk to anybody. And personally, by then, I was, you know, towards the last third of my chemo, mm-hmm. and I wasn't real chatty. And mm-hmm. so I went in there and would just sort of put my headphones on, and, you know, it's it's uh, it's cold. So you're always wearing uh, – and I'm bald, so I always have my, my toque gun and my headphones and my – you know, and I just sit there and just zone out. And this album kind of took me through that. Um this song that you picked, you know, why'd you pick this one? I mean, the heart is a drum that kind of resonates. Yeah. And it's just got this soothingness to it. Yeah. I mean, what was it about this song off that album? Uh, I just, I love the way it sounds. It was, uh, and I've, I always come at a song from the, the rhythm part as a drummer. And then, and then eventually I'll go, oh, I wonder what they're even singing about. What's this song about? And so that always happens for me much later. Uh, and so, you know, and, and, and even with this one, just recently after I was putting my list together, I, oh, I wonder if the, there is actually videos for songs. So I looked on YouTube <laughs> and there was actually a video for this. Song. It never occurred to me anymore to even think that. Is it sepia toned? I could see yeah. it being sepia yeah, toned. I've never seen white. it. I just guessed that. It's black wow. and white and it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back like in the it's a sepia tone song. I mean, you know, <laughs> but uh, it's it's black and white, and it's uh, it's sort of a you know, um, I think Beck's probably about our age, but in the video, it's clearly like him looking at him at little vignettes of his life as a mm. little child, as as a sort of like when he got on the scene, he sort of has that look, and then and then it's also at you know a little black and white. Images of like uh, you know death standing there with the the sigh huh. and in yeah. the the hood and the whole thing, 
And I don't know exactly what all is going on because it's artistic. It's, and I'm, what, it's, it's just you know, artistic. It's, it's just like it's different versions. Air quotes, artistic. I, you know, it's like different versions of him, right? Yeah. 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 It's There's different. the version from the Loser Music video. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And again, I don't know his all of his history, but uh, you can definitely tell that what he's trying to show is his progression. And, and so, of course, that rang true for me, you know, yeah. going through what I just went through and sort of honestly, you know, you – Face your mortality when you're sitting there getting chemo. And, yeah. You know. how, how are you doing now? I'm doing good. Uh, all the tests came back uh, pretty clear, and I have one more at the end of the year just to make sure it's all all gone. But uh, yeah, Cheer, cheers to that. Absolutely, absolutely. I did buy the album that the Loser album uh-huh. of Bex, and I just found almost everything else on it to just not be accessible to me. I don't know. I, I felt like he was making music that he was daring you to like it. Like, right. like you're going to have to put up with something that you don't like <laughs> like me. <laughs> but this was how super, committed are you? But this, this was super accessible. Like, I, yeah. this that you. I turned. I was listening to this, going, okay, I could listen to this, right? Yeah. And I and I kind of thought the same thing too. Um, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And I don't normally, even then, I don't normally buy, go and buy albums, you know. Um, but this one, I was kind of guided to whatever, to buy it, and uh, loved it ever since. Do you still listen to it all the way through? Yes. I listen to it at work. I actually listen to it when I'm drafting. <laughs> that was going to be one of my questions. So you do yeah. listen to music while you're drafting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I asked um, that earlier, though, too, didn't I? Uh, I don't know if I did. I still do. Um I don't. I can't listen with headphones because a lot of times you got to answer phones and whatnot. But mm-hmm. uh, I have my little Bose speaker next to my drafting table, and I still work on an old drafting table. I just converted it to a, a desk, but it uh, it still can tilt mm-hmm. like you would if you were drawing by hand. How uh, much um, How much computer do you need to do the job you do? In other words, is it, do you have like a super fancy computer, uh, or does it really take that? It, well, the kind of work that I do doesn't really take that nowadays. Uh, you know, the more uh, – the technology right now of like laser scanning and things like that that collect, you know, millions and millions of points of data, uh, LIDAR, that kind of thing, those need almost like supercomputer mm-hmm. levels of storage and capability to process those mm-hmm. 3D images. As a boundary surveyor, most of my it's stuff still is – still just lines. It's lines and points. Not much and data and lines and yeah, points. Yeah, there might be, you know, <laughs> a thousand points or something in a, yeah. in a, in a hectic survey, but – um, a hectic survey. A hectic I like survey. That. Yeah, but yeah, and the, and the kind of work that I do, it's it's you could work on basically any decent you know laptop you get. Do you listen to music on radio stations in your car? No. Okay. I think we've proven over the course of the last ten episodes or so that music on the radio is dead. <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, <laughs> young people, old people, everybody's like, no. I don't. I wouldn't even know. I you know. Shameless plug. I have you guys on my presets, hey. and then, but I also have Sirius, and I listen to the to the news channels on Sirius, or I'll listen to, you know, deep tracks or something like that. But did, uh, that's about did it. Mike Canary ever try to get you to listen to Moxie Fruvis? Yes, I think he did. <laughs> How accessible did you find Moxie Fruvis? Uh, I I don't recall ever listening to it, so that's it the probably answer. got played around you anyway. I, I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, are there any songs you'll avoid listening to, mostly for like you know recollection reasons? Like if you hear it, it'll do this thing that mm. we do. Uh, I mean, you mean not just songs that I just don't like, 
or that are I, I, that's mm-hmm. part of this category too. So yeah, if you so don't I, have anything that's on that side, then yeah. just pick one that you're like going to get it out of there if it happens to pop up on Sirius. Well, so like it would be easy for that Beck song to be in that category for some people, right? They wouldn't want to go back to yeah, yeah, right, because it would bring back that. Yeah. So are there any like that for you that you kind of like? No, I'm gonna just skip. Um. I think they're just songs that I that I don't like because they're overplayed. Like Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. the, cho- the song I chose is because I just blindly hate it. <laughs> what was it? I, I forget. Ever, 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 uh, ever clear? Ever, 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 know what it's like. I just to have uh, the blues. I just, it's something about that song. I just <laughs> really so don't. I hate it from top to bottom, uh, arm to table, farm whatever. Farm like, to no, table, nose Soup to, to tail. I just do not like top it. Top to bottom, of ear to ear. <laughs> so, do you have any songs like that by chance? <laughs> Gosh, no, no, I really don't. Um, I'm sure as soon as I walk out of here, I'll be like, oh, oh I should have said okay. this. Yeah, that's way Homer. Like, yeah, you yeah. can tell us I'll later. I'll text you. You can be like, Andy wants us to wants you to know. That he <laughs> really uh, hates. We'll insert it. <laughs> Album you've listened to the most over your life. Mm. Joshua Tree. Oh, yeah. Nice. That, that's that's yeah. a good one. Um, album I, you would shoot. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I saw them twice on that tour. In 1987. Wow. He's made a lot of people And he yeah. might have been in the same concert as Neil Volce. No, I think he was later. Oh, that's... I, yeah, I think Neil was more like the 90s. That's, oh, that's true. Or, or maybe even 2000s. It's so crazy it. when I think about that because on that tour, they had literally like no stage show at all. Mm-hmm. It was in Chicago at one of the big you know venues in Chicago. And you had to go the day before the tickets went on sale to wait in line to get a wristband so you could come back the next day mm-hmm. and get in line and get your tickets. <laughs> huh. And my, my friend Blair and I were both – he and I were just huge YouTube fans, started with War and Unforgettable Fire and all that stuff. And uh, and we went – I actually saw him both times I came through Chicago on that tour. But they literally had no – the only stage show was basically Bono with a can light standing there like running around the stage, shining it out into the crowd. And then they went, you know, completely the other way into that stage. And I didn't go to that tour, but – where they had that huge contraption kind of set. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, what a diff- you know, completely different night and day. We've had two guests on this show who have spent time more than just a few minutes with Bono. Oh, really? Yeah, that's yeah. one of the... One know, of them almost stole his sunglasses he, on accident. He thought, wow. he thought about keeping them. There's a, uh, <laughs> a, a, a kid that grew up on Sanibel, uh, my daughter Avery's age. He plays guitar and his parents are from Boston and they took him to that one of those shows and... He got pulled up on stage. Oh wow! And One of those played. kids. Yeah, and he was probably in his early teens. I don't know, uh, but it's on YouTube, and it is absolutely amazing. And then he gave him the Edge's guitar. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. yeah. Um, he, he killed it too. He really did. <laughs> geez, uh, when was the last time you played drums on a coffee can? Oh, well, I'm always playing drums on my steering wheel and everything else around me. So, coffee can. Mm, Probably been a while. Uh, your kids play any instruments? No, they don't. They don't. Hmm. Uh, what would your 14-year-old self, uh, seeing that CD player for the first time, think of Andy today? I I think I would be surprised that I was still so into music. Really? Yeah. Huh. 
Well, all right. Um, okay, it's time to recommend three people. Wait, no. No. The question. Do we do the question before oh, the recommendation? It doesn't matter, the order. We can do it after. <laughs> well, well, you were going to be done. I thought you were No, answering. I've got the question oh, still. There's a question? Yeah. Yeah, it's the mean question. Oh. We've got a new question. Do you want to do the three people first, or do you want to do the question? Um, he's already looking for the people, so let's just stay okay. with the people. Keep us all in the episode. Oh yeah, this is uh, this is oh. this is, this is, Prime is, show. is this all part of the episode? That's oh yeah, <laughs> totally. It's funny you're the third person that's asked that in the last four episodes. <laughs> it all and it always is, just so you know. Oh okay. Uh, well, I had to like um, screenshot because I didn't want to forget. Um, and I, what if you've already? I don't know if you've already done them. I have to say that's okay. You have to name another person. Yeah, you have to think harder. <laughs> okay. Well, locally, I was thinking of Sheena Brooke. She's not been on the show. Super talented. Do you know her? Like, uh, know I her well enough her. to put a bug in her ear about this? She's I, been I, on Gulf Coast Life. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Like, she's been on stuff. Uh, yeah, I probably could. Okay. Because that's part of why we studio. do this. We, we partly do this to get you to market the show. Uh-huh. See? Oh, I see. Ah. You should tag her and all that fun stuff. I will. Good. Yes. No, and uh, I have uh, we have so many mutual friends and uh, friends that love to go see her. So okay, yeah, when she's you, super when, talented. When your episode comes out, just tag the people who are recommended. Absolutely, and say, "Hey, everybody, check this out. I think you should be on it." Yeah, uh, another local person that I was thinking is a friend of mine from Sanibel. His name is Tim Finfrock. It's a great name. Yeah, cool. yeah, super nice guy. I met him on Sanibel. And uh, does he go to medieval fairs with a name like that? He might. Seems I like don't he know. Would. But he is an artist. He was involved with the uh, Rauschenberg um, group. Yeah, the residency and everything yeah, out there. Yeah, and I don't know all of his history, so I, all I, know, I, I met him at a few poker games. Sounds great. On Sanibel, and he's become a friend, and he's a fantastic artist, and he's involved with the uh, Pointy Bell Brewery. Perfect. He does, he's yeah. painted all of their uh, labels and stuff. Super interesting guy. Perfect. Okay. And then my third one is uh, my friend in Chicago, Michael Taylor. Who got me involved with uh, Jembe? Oh, okay. He and I worked together. Uh, I met him when I was at Illinois State, and we worked at the restaurant uh, restaurant together. We were both waiters. Uh, at the time, uh, I forget he was a business major or something. Whatever. I was a history major. Neither one of us did anything with it. But uh, <laughs> he stumbled into Jembe, and he has some great stories about that. And it's become his whole life. He is travels the world he's been to africa many times he was the first uh i believe the first u.s instructor in mamadi Keita's temtem mandang school and he travels the world goes to china and teaches djembe and has his own he teaches at the old town school of folk music in chicago and does shows there and and teaches so we love that yes we do remote recordings, oh, and excellent. we do know somebody who is chief engineer for in a Chicago. network of radio stations in and Chicago. Taylor lives, Taylor lives in Oak Park. He's a dear friend, and uh, I chat with him all the time. But he would really, he, he would love this. Okay, we're going to make that happen for sure. Okay, last question oh, is, um, you think of your three songs. Okay. You have to split them into three different categories. The first bucket is, um, the song is going to disappear from existence. Not okay. just henceforth. It'll never have been. This, the other song is going to, you're going to guarantee it, you know, not notoriety and, and uh, um, people will know of it, you know, a thousand years into the future. Mm-hmm. And the third one is the only song you ever get to listen to again. Whoa. That's tough. Um, the only song you ever get to listen to. Well, I guess I would... 
What was the first bucket again? It's <laughs> dead, gone. gone. It's it gone. blipped out of existence. Okay. Sorry, Beck. Smoked. I'm going to put Beck in there. <laughs> Sorry, Beck. <laughs> Sorry, Beck. Beck. Beck's got plenty of good songs. Yeah. That one, you know. Okay, so that's in bucket number one. Uh, bucket number three is the only song I'll ever get to listen yeah, to again. Yeah, it becomes music for you. It's either that or podcasts and public well. radio. <laughs> 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 well, that would be uh, Laugh and a Tear, Mellencamp. Okay. And so then the one that you guarantee perpetuity would be the... Running with the Devil. Running with the Devil. Yes. Which Listen, I kind of People love are going to still listen to that a thousand years from yeah. now. I love, that's perfect. Yes. Okay. Well, Andy, we've done it. We All did right. it. You did it. Do you have Excellent. Any, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? No, this has been fantastic. Thank you for doing it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and periodic host. Chris Duff is, is executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're going back one year to former pot hauler Tim McBride, author of Saltwater Cowboy, for what may have been one of our most vivid song stories yet on this podcast a morning when he and some assistants were awaiting a drop from the sky you could not distinguish the sky from the, from the water it was just beautiful one of those calm mornings and all of a sudden this kid I had hired this captain and his buddies uh, from Marathon who hadn't worked in a while I said come on up I got something we can do you know, just a quick short everybody make some money and go home uh, in one day so they came up and we're sitting there and all of a sudden this kid goes, he sits up and I, I think I hear something. So we all run out on the, on the back of the boat and we turn and we're trying to listen and all of a sudden we see this thing coming and it was right over the trees, yeah, over the mangoes. Yeah. This, uh, this badass DC-3 with uh, twin uh, turbo uh, and twin uh, 1200 Pratt Whitney's just cranking, man. These things are like, whoa, busting wide open right, just right. to keep this thing in the air, right? And he made a pass over us just to make sure that this was the right spot. We're waving, and here's these two clowns hanging out of the cargo <laughs> door with suicide straps around their hands, and they've got the leather helmets on with the goggles on, mm-hmm. screaming, ah! <laughs> and they went and made a pass by us. And the only thing that left behind that that pass was the badass chill down my back and the smell of spent aviation fuel. As they went out and made a turn and came back, and they started kicking these things out 20 bales at a time. And they're just flipping through the air, and they're tumbling and splashing, you know, and, you know, it's just the coolest thing, man. The whole thing, from the time we saw the plane to the time he made his first pass, then he made his next pass to dump the first half, made his second pass to dump the second half, and took off inland to go land. The whole thing took probably four minutes. Wow. So when he started, when he was on his last pass to make sure we weren't going to get, you know, 20 bales dropped on our heads... Fired up the boat and took off. That's when Lagrange, we put Lagrange and started playing it out on the deck, just cranking it. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. Whoa, metaphors, similes, you know. <laughs> what specifically about that song, like what kind of, what line when you think of that song, what jumps out to you the most? It cracks me up at the end when he's like, you always lose the girl. Because as a kid, I was like, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Where did she go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>